0: Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at our union with Christ, Um, the reality that when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are in Jesus, that is our security, but also He is in us and that is our transformation, that is the work that He does in us and through us. And today, we're going to take that a step farther, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that um, was just read for us that's often referred to as the Great Commission. And that word commission, it's best to understand it by seeing it as a co-mission with Jesus Christ. What God has done is invited you and I into the deepest, most important work in all the universe about communicating who He is and what he has done. And it's an incredible, incredible privilege. Now, um, I have a tendency to refer to this slightly differently. I call it the Grace Commission. Um, and the reason I do is because it's something that every one of us, no matter how qualified or unqualified you or I feel, have been invited into by grace. And it is the message of God's grace. Grace. And so, where I want to begin today is simply with this. The Grace Commission is for all believers in Jesus. You and I and every other believer, it's not just for missionaries or for pastors or for people who are at a certain point in their faith journey. It is for every believer. In fact, next week, we're going to look at a passage that is absolutely incredible, In John chapter four, about a woman who shares what Jesus has done in an incredible way after she had just known him for a few moments. No preparation, no training, no equipping, and yet God used her in amazing ways. And next week, we're also going to have an incredible testimony um, of uh, of a dear man and his family uh, that are from Iraq. It's going to share a little bit about what God is doing in their heart and in their life. And I know it's going to be a blessing to you. Today, let's, let's examine this passage, this assignment that God has given us. He has called all believers to go. To go and to make disciples, to make learners, to make individuals who will discover that a faith in Jesus Christ is real and vibrant and affects every aspect of who they are. This is Jesus' final instructions on earth, not just to his disciples, but to each one of us. And in fact, it points to our purpose. You'll see in front of you, there's a question, why? And um, how many of you have some why questions in your life? Any, anybody? You know, there's, I have lots and lots of why questions. You can think of all kinds of them. But one of the why questions is why are we here? Well, this is part of the reason, part of what we were created to do. And I'd like to share with you the answer that I believe the scripture teaches is that why we are here is that you and I, that we were created to share God's life and to show his greatness. That's our purpose. Now, the church reformers said it this way. They said the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I'm saying exactly the same thing in slightly more modern words we were made to be united with Christ, to share His life and to show His greatness. And that, when that becomes the purpose of our life, that's where we find fulfillment and meaning in everything that we do. Well, let's look at this, this passage because I know from, from my, own, um, my own fear and timidity, as well as from 30 years of experience in, in ministry, that when you, when you preach on the Great Commission, some people... They're, they're excited. Other people, they're like, when can we get to lunch? Because this one is just, is, is tough for me. So often, we don't feel like we're able to really share our faith. And I want to show you something that I hope will be incredibly encouraging. Let's look at this passage of scripture. And, and most of the time, when pastors preach this, in fact, most of the time when I've preached it, I've begun at Verse 18. The verses 16 and 17 are incredibly important. Well, let me read them to you again, and let's, let's examine that. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, Jesus, after his, he ascended from, uh, excuse me, after he rose from the dead, his resurrection, when he had encounters with his disciples, he instructed his disciples to meet him on this mountain. And there was where he was going to give his final instructions before he ascended to heaven. And so it says all 11 of the disciples were there. Judas, of course, had betrayed him and had killed himself. And so there's 11 disciples left, and every one of them are there. Now look what the next verse says. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. That's not surprising, right? The disciples, that's what they should do. It's what we just did. We gathered together today in worship to the Lord. But what is the very next phrase that it says? But some of them doubted. Right before Jesus gives the instruction, he gives the reality of the heart of the 11 disciples, the people that we would expect to be the superheroes of the faith. They were gathered together, obeying Jesus. They went and worshipped, but some of them doubted. They doubted maybe Jesus' ability to use them. They they doubted what their purpose was. They doubted whether or not they could carry on without Jesus physically with them. They were insecure, just like you and I. Because when we think about sharing our faith with other people, which is what this passage is all about, what this command is all about, so many times we feel inadequate. But here's the good news. God calls the doubters to live the grace commission. So if you're there thinking, I can't do it, I'm not smart enough, I'm not educated enough, I don't have the answers to people's questions, all those doubts, what I want to urge you to do today is to put them aside and say, Jesus, I'm going to worship and trust you. Because the very next thing he says is all authority has been given to me. The answer to our doubts is Jesus' authority, not our ability. The answer to your doubts is Jesus' authority, not our ability. So we don't have to worry about being qualified. Here's the truth. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. And that is radically different. It doesn't matter whether you're a teenager. Whether you're an old person like me, um, anywhere in between, doesn't matter whether you're married or you're single, whether you've been a believer for a long time or a short period of time, God can equip and qualify you to share his great work because he has placed his Holy Spirit in you and wants to work through you to draw people to himself. Grace, the grace of God calls the unworthy to live on mission for God. And the great news is, the encouraging news is, God chose common, ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary, eternal work. That should be encouraging to you. You see, oftentimes we think of, you know, the disciples as if, man, if if we could have been like them, then God could use us to do great things. They all messed up, all of them. They were fearful and timid. They doubted. We're in good company. So the first thing that we need to do if we're to obey Jesus' command is we have to set aside our doubt and say it's not about me or how good I am. It's all about the authority and power of Jesus Christ and ask him to use us and work through us. He gives us here an incredible command that we are to live. Now, when you look through the scriptures, you'll see that this is the normal pattern of God. God rarely calls the person that we would put in the spotlight. He rarely calls the one who's equipped and qualified. And we would say, man, when we look at their CV, that's a person that you can see doing great things for God. The people he most often calls are the ones who would least expect it. I want you to think back through through the scripture and, and realize that what God does is oftentimes he calls those who are unaware, who are unqualified to serve him and to do great and mighty things. When God calls a person to do his work in the scripture, he always speaks to their potential and not to their accomplishments or even their failures. He speaks to who you can be in him not where you are right now. God doesn't point out our inadequacies and give us a list of reasons why we will probably fail. The enemy does that for us. He's really good at it. He's the accuser of the brethren. But God sees what we cannot. And when you look through the scriptures, you find incredible things. I want to show you one in in the book of Judges. This is one that... um, Most of you, maybe you've you've read it once or twice, but you know very little about him. In Judges chapter 11, verse, verse 1, there's an example of one of the early leaders of Israel who was perhaps the least expected person you could imagine. Because God rose him up when he wasn't even qualified to be the heir of his own family. And yet God chose him to be the leader of his nation. Look at verses 1 through 3 of Judges chapter 11. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around him, around Jephthah, and went out with him. That's his resume. His resume is, I was born out of wedlock. My mom was a prostitute. My brothers, my my step or half brothers didn't want me. They kicked me out of the family, said I wasn't even worthy to be a part of them. And when I went out on my own, a bunch of misfits gathered around me, and yet that's the very person that God calls just sh- a short time afterwards to lead the nation of Israel. I don't know what your Uh, resume or your CV looks like but chances are you're a couple steps above Jephthah right if God can use him he can use us and God did use him in great and mighty and wonderful ways let me give you another one that uh, that I love and that's that's Amos turn your Bibles to Amos chapter seven verses 14 and, and 15 you see In the case of Jephthah, um, the world saw his identity based upon how he came into this world. But God saw the potential of who he was and what he was going to do. And the same is true we'll see in Amos. Amos chapter 7, verses 14 through 15. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, But I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Amos was a farmer. He took care of fig trees and livestock. He didn't have any qualifications to do spiritual things except for God's call. And if you've trusted, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you have exactly the same qualifications. In fact, today we're even more qualified because we are given the Holy Spirit at the moment we embrace and trust Jesus Christ. So you may not feel qualified. You may doubt whether God could use you. But let me tell you that that fear is not coming from God. So set it aside because that is always going to get in the way of you obeying God in every area of your life, not just in sharing your faith with others. God said, go, and Amos obeyed. God said, go, and Jephthah obeyed. And we could read through all the rest of the scriptures and we could see the same pattern happening. God picks the unlikely And raises him up because that way he gets the credit. Too often we think I can't be used by God because I'm blank. I'm too shy. I'm too timid. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too poor. I'm an outcast. I don't speak well. Every excuse you can come up with is already here in the scriptures. And God used them anyway. Moses, the great leader of Israel, He didn't want to do it because he had trouble speaking. He was intimidated. And yet God used him in incredible, incredible ways. Think about it. David, if we were to ask David, David would have said, I thought I was a shepherd, but apparently I'm a king. I thought I was just an adulterer and a failure, but it turns out, I'm a man after God's own heart. Paul in the New Testament, he would have said, I thought I was a persecutor of the church, but it turns out I've been given the greatest opportunity to go on mission that the world has ever seen. Peter, I thought I was just a coward who denied Jesus, but apparently my statement of faith, you are the Christ, son of the living God, upon that testimony, Jesus Christ is going to build his church. Folks, God wants to use you. Don't let fear rob you of the blessing of sharing your faith with others. The beauty of the gospel is that God takes us where we are and changes us. And and I want to tell you that that simple reality is the most powerful part of our witness. It is not how much training we have in apologetics, although we should seek to learn more, to be able to answer questions. But the most powerful part of our witness is how God has changed you and I. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Next week, we're going to do some really practical um, uh, assignments to help prepare us to be able to share our faith with others. But it all begins with this simple question that I want you to think about this week and begin to write down and and answer. How has God changed me? Is that hard? To think about your life and simply go, look at how God has changed you? Here's what I want to, I promise you. When you begin to look at that and reflect on that, you will have a great reservoir to share from with other people because when you think about that and you prepare that in your heart and when you see what God has done for you and then you add to that um, the understanding from the scriptures of who God is and what he has done, God is gonna open up opportunities for you to share your faith with people that you never imagined before. But it begins with that simple, Examination of your story and how God has changed you Remember, it is not about religion It is about a relationship with Jesus Christ So you telling about your relationship with him Is a powerful, powerful testimony God calls us to share our story And that's where we want to begin Let Let me read what he calls us to do again He says, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. This is Jesus. Go, therefore, it is a command to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, um, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God bookends his command with two great promises. He has the power to bring it about And you are never alone. That should encourage and fuel our witness. Those two promises. But remember, it is a command. This is not optional. This is not for some believers who reach a certain point. It is for every single believer to share our faith. So that is what we're called to do. But now, who are we called to? to share with. If we're to go to all nations, well, you and I individually can't go to every single nation, but God is going to call us to specific people that he wants to use us to communicate the truth of who Jesus is in their heart and life. So who is God calling you to go to? Well, there's another passage that is part of this Great Commission. In fact, one of my favorite things to do in the scripture is to, to build harmonies of, of scripture. And, and, and one of the things that I like to study is I'll put all of the things that um, deal with the Great Commission all together and I'll bring the, the several different passages together and read them as if it's one narrative. And it's incredible. And the next piece of that, after this passage we just read here in Matthew, is a passage in Acts chapter 1, Verses six through eight. So I want to invite you to turn there and let's let's look at what it says. Acts chapter one, verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples are there together, but they're still thinking, okay, Jesus is is gonna do something that is gonna change the political climate. It's gonna change uh, life as we know it and they're looking in the wrong place. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, he's saying, don't focus on what I'm gonna accomplish. I want you to focus on what I'm telling you to do. And too often in the history of of the church, we've tried in the church to work out cultural change rather than following the instructions of the Great Commission of Making Disciples. God gave us that assignment. He will work in and through his people to accomplish the other in his time, but only if we stick to what God has assigned us to do. Now, what does he say? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Again, he gives a promise. He reinstates it. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. His promise is this is your destiny. God is going to use you. He's going to use me to communicate the truth of his good news to other people. And he gives us here in the midst of this life mission of why we're here, he gives us the beginning steps. Because here, what he's saying is, in Jerusalem, and Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, he's telling us who he's calling us to. He's using the example here of the disciples and how he begins to send them out and it expands to show what the witness of our life is supposed to be like. Our Jerusalem, for us, it's it's our family, it's our friends. It's the people right around us. God wants to, to take us to the familiar territory of those we already know and begin to share what God has done and changed in our life. Judea makes it, this was the, the region around. It wasn't just the city of Jerusalem. It was the, the region or the, the state, as it were, around Jerusalem. And that's the, our acquaintances, our coworkers, our neighbors. God is calling us to expand that and to make relationships with other people so that we can have an impact in their life. Now that relationship should be driven by love for them. The love that God has for us needs to be poured out in a love for them. They are never a project, never. And when we share our faith with someone else, we need to make a commitment to love them whether or not they ever respond in a positive way. No matter what. Because the reality is, in most of our lives, it takes multiple points of contact, multiple people before a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And if you just share a little bit and then they kind of push back and you just forget about them your witness loses its power. You're not communicating that God really is interested in them because you're showing that you're interested in them. You see, that's, it has to be driven by relationship and by love. So our Judea is our acquaintances. Samaria was a different story, though. It was cross-cultural. They were a different people group. And so God calls us not only to go to the people around us that we interact with, but also to those who come from a totally different background, a different language, a different culture. God is calling us to those as well. And for the Jews, the Samaritans, it was, they didn't necessarily get along, but the grace of God breaks through that. So God is calling us to strangers who come from a different background, than us and ultimately to the ends of the earth to all peoples we have the privilege of living in a, in a day and age when the gospel is reaching more and more people groups and we get to be an active part of seeing that come about in ways like never before in the history of the church so god is calling us to progressively have a witness that encounters the people we know most intimately, our friends, our neighbors, the the people we we, um, encounter in the marketplace, our coworkers, to go cross-culturally and ultimately to go to the ends of the earth. Recently, I've been reading a a passage of scripture that has captured my heart that I believe the Lord is at least speaking in, in a way that points us to a specific call for us as a church. I wanna invite you to turn to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament and Ezekiel um, was born into the tribe of Levi and so he was gonna be a priest. That was his destiny. That was what he was being trained to do. And um, when his whole life was mapped out in front of him that eventually he would be serving in the temple in Jerusalem as a priest But at 17 years of age, Ezekiel was taken captive with 10,000 other young people from Israel and sent to Babylon in what is uh, today modern-day Iraq. And he became um, a captive, an exile in in a foreign land, and and uh, his life was basically enslaved to the Babylonians and later to the Medes and the Persians when they conquered Babylon. He was was an, an exile. And for 13 years, he was there in exile and the Lord called him on his birthday, on his 30th birthday, the very day he would have entered into the priesthood and begun his service in the temple, God had a different call for his life. Everything that he had in his mind that he had mapped out um, wasn't quite what God had in mind. He had a bigger call for Ezekiel. And Ezekiel... Um, learn to live up to his name because his name means God strengthens. And he needed that because I want to show you what the call to Ezekiel was. It was not an easy call. It was a challenging call. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. And he said to me, "'Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them.'" For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all that the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. I love that because it's so self-descriptive of me. Um, Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than Flint, I have made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears and go to the exiles, to your people and speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. A hard call. Now, I don't believe we're given that hard call. But I do think there's an interesting pattern that's given to to Ezekiel here, that at least as I was reading and meditating on it, that really jumped out to me. As a church, we have a unique opportunity in sharing the gospel. On, On any given Sunday, there's as many as 35 different nations represented in this congregation. What would happen if we supported one another in Believing that God was calling us first to our own people who are here in a foreign land. That doesn't discount the call that we have to the Czech people. We actively want to pursue that mission. But what if also with that, we didn't have to learn the language, didn't have to learn the culture, but had the opportunity and the intentionality of our own hearts to go to our own people who are here in Prague. I believe that God will respond to that obedience in amazing ways. And and he's begun to do that. We're even seeing some of the fruit of of that happening at the bridge center. Because now at the the bridge, you know, we not only have um, the refugee ministry where where you get to to hear Arabic and Kurdish and and Persian and, and people speaking different languages, encouraging one another, strengthening one another. We also now have multiple worship services in different languages. There's a, there's a beautiful worship service that goes on after this one in Bahasa Indonesian. There's one yesterday that was in Tagalog from uh, those from the Philippines. We have a, a gathering of, uh, in Mandarin. And we now have two different Czech congregations that are meeting at the Bridge Center sharing the gospel. Well, what if that began to happen? What if we took that as a challenge? upon ourselves to say, Lord, how can we together help reach out to the people groups that God has already sent here? Because there's a unique opportunity when someone is outside of their culture, outside of their comfort, outside of their natural influences, where there is oftentimes a greater openness to the gospel. If we took that on as a mission and supported each other, I believe God would do amazing things. So I believe that our Jerusalem for us as a church is to first go to our own people, to the languages that we know, to reach for the Dutch, to reach out to the Dutch, for those who speak Persian, to reach out to those who speak Persian, for those who pretty much only speak English like me. um, I need to reach out to those who speak English as well as continue to try to learn some other languages but to go first to our own people. And then secondly, to go to those around us. Thirdly, yes, to go cross-culturally because we're in it together. We're not alone. And to the ends of the earth. And to remember, even as God instructed Ezekiel, you and I are not responsible for how people respond. We are simply responsible to love them and communicate the truth in a gracious and, and savory way to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, is not our responsibility. The New Testament, Jesus put it this way. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We need to recognize that when we share our faith with other people, we are never alone. The Holy Spirit is already working in hearts and lives and he will draw people. He's responsible for stirring up the response in their hearts. We are responsible to go and tell. So how do we do that? How has God equipped you and I? And and I'm running out of time, I'm sorry. Well, first of all, we need to remember some promises that God has given us the Holy Spirit. You're not alone. He's given you power according to 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20. He's given you the scriptures. And also he's given you a story, your story, what he has done in you and through you. And so I put in your, in your bulletin some practical things that we can do. We, we first of all need to begin praying for others and praying for opportunities to share our faith in Christ. Secondly, we have to be intentional about making relationships where we want to make genuine relationships, but we also want to be intentional about having spiritual conversations. There's some easy ways to do that. Some choices we can make. Number one, become a regular somewhere. If you got a favorite place to go for coffee or to go to lunch, um, your favorite market, become regular and simply be friendly and make relationships with the people who work there and the other people who are regulars there. I believe if you do that, God will give you opportunities to form relationships and to encourage other people. Um, As believers, we should always be friendly. We should always, by the way, we should always tip well. Don't be a stingy Christian, okay, Don't do it. It ruins our witness. Um, Take an interest in others. Be present when you're with them. Perhaps in this day and age, this is one of the most missional things you and I could ever do, is to put down your phone and simply be present with people. To be there listening to what they're saying, listening for opportunities to find out what's going on in their life. Find out where they're hurting, where they're struggling, where they're encouraged, where they're hopeful. There's other things we can do that are really practical. Take baked goods to your neighbors. Becky does this all the time, and I'm so proud of her for that. Look for needs and serve it. Listen to what is happening in another person's life and remember the details. Share meals with those who do not yet know Christ. That is so important. Go with them to a movie or to a concert. One of the things that I like to do is I I, I always have extra Metro tickets in my pocket, in my coat. And and when I encounter people, especially if they look totally lost and they have no idea how to figure out the system, I just go and give them a ticket, helps them, um, and and take them on their way. And then oftentimes if they don't know where they're going, it's a great opportunity. uh, if, If I have time, I'll just go with them. I get a chance to talk with them a little bit. And, um, and who knows what will happen on the rest of the adventure. Um, and then, you know, they go on their way. And I go back to the things that I was doing. But it gives an opportunity to have an impact on their heart and life. We'll look at this next part next week. But it's really important to ask good questions. Because ultimately, relationships are built by listening and taking an interest in other people. We're going to see that in how Jesus... Um, spoke to the woman at the well next week well it's all about a personal relationship but there are elements to the gospel that help us get to the point of a spiritual conversation we're able to share the important truths and so what i want to do i'm just going to give it to you today to begin to look at if you'll pass those out is i want to encourage you to take a a card or two um, and you guys know me well enough now, after almost five years, to know I am, I am really simple. And so when it came to finding ways to be able to explain the core elements of the gospel, of the good news, I wanted to make it as simple as possible. And I wanted to make it something that was relational and something that we could remember. And so I came up with why. It's, it's the first question every child asks, Every parent will attest to that fact because they don't ask it once. They ask it 4,378 times per day. Why? Especially when they don't get their way. Because there's built into us this questioning. In the same way we see that there are problems, there are challenges, there are difficulties in our world, and we want to know why. Well, there are answers. And the answers are found in the scriptures, but the ultimate answer that we're looking for is a connection with God himself. And and so, Y stands for a really simple way to share the elements of the gospel, and it's three words that I think you can remember. Let's see if you can get this. We, he, and you. Everybody think you can, can, it's going to take a lot of memorization now. But let's see if you can figure this out. See if you can say it with me. We, he, and you. Pretty simple, right? I told you, I, I'm the simple guy. So there you go. Now, the we stands for who we are as a people, as humans. And, and, and it's simple as this. We were created in God's image to share his life and to show his greatness. That's our purpose. One of the challenges that I sometimes have when, when we have these little um, tracks or whatever to to share the gospel is so often they begin with all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is absolutely true. But it's not the right place to start. We gotta start before then with the purpose in which God created us. We need to start with why we're here. We were created in God's image to share his life, to be united with him and to show his greatness. But there's a problem that we have our selfishness and sin forfeited that purpose separating us from God and brought death that's the reality of where we are that's why bad things happen to good people is because we live in a broken fallen world we have a problem but it doesn't stop with the we the next one is he he chose to offer his life to us through Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection, offering us forgiveness of sin and abundant life now and forever. God brought a solution to our problem. To the why questions that we wrestle with, he has brought an answer, and the answer is his son, Jesus. He is who we can turn to. And the you is simply this. You and I are free to choose We can choose to remain on our own or we can choose to embrace what Jesus has done for us and call upon the name of Jesus Christ and trust him as Savior and as Lord. I want to encourage you just to to take some time, look at that. Maybe you'll have questions about it. Um, You can can email me this week. We're going to look at it some more next week and and try to, to make this even simpler about ways we can share our faith with those around us. All right? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the assignment that you have called us to, the opportunity, the privilege it is to be able to share our faith with those around us. Lord, would you take away the fear and the doubt? And Lord, would you, would you release your church? Would you release us in your power, in your authority? Lord, to make disciples, to share with others the love, the joy, the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, send us out. Help us to see ourselves truly as on mission for you. Lord, open our eyes to see the people you're gonna place in our path today and tomorrow and next week And Lord, help us with eyes that are powered by faith to listen to the voice of your Holy Spirit, to see with your eyes, and Lord, to speak with your grace and truth to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.